Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right, this is episode 13 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer would not let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having very serious negative reactions to the vaccines. This is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. All right, coming up today on the Doc Washburn Show, unearthed documents from the Wuhan lab show the so-called bat lady celebrating her ability to isolate coronavirus strains for direct human infection. We also have a heartbreaking letter from one of the January 6th political prisoners we have the story of a mom who's going to sue a school in louisiana for vaccinating her minor child without her consent and 20 republican congressmen proposing a transgender rights bill also republican senators yesterday roasting attorney general merrick garland over intimidating parents But first, we're going to break a rule of radio and probably a rule of podcasting. Hey, why are you you calling attention to somebody else's podcast? Because Dan Bongino is standing with us. That's why. And by the way, I I appreciate the uh, the good mornings from the folks listening live on the Podbean app. Uh, Malice5992, good morning to you too. RM Copeland50, good morning to you too. Appreciate everybody joining live on the Podbean app. The cool thing about this podcast is I've been hearing from people, hey, this is great. I can listen anytime I want to. And then other people are like, that's great, but I like listening live at noon Eastern, at 11 Central, at 10 Mountain, at 9 Pacific, and that's cool too. Oh, and good morning to Hamilton Henry 64. All right, now, that having been said, That having been said, I have thanked Dan Bongino for standing up for me and people like me who got fired by Cumulus. I have thanked him for that matter for even mentioning me on his his radio show and and on his podcast. And we got an update from Brother Bongino, and I want to play that for you before we get into all the other stuff that I just said we're going to talk about. Because this this is uh, this is big tech against free speech is what it is. It's big tech against free speech. Big tech in this case, of course, being cumulus media. Free speech being people who are like, hey, I I kind of thought you hired me to be a conservative talk show host. Why are you not letting me say things? Number one, and number two. The idea that you're going to force me to put some kind of a unapproved gene therapy 
into my veins. Once you're, quote, vaccinated, unquote, you can't be unvaxxed. Anyway, Dan Bongino, this, uh, this runs less than four minutes, and then we'll get on to everything else. But he is standing up for me and people like me, and so I'm, I'm standing up with him. Pray for Brother Bongino. I mean, who knows if he ever gets back on the radio again, but he's still doing the podcast. Folks, I have a uh, radio show that's syndicated by Cumulus. Cumulus decided it would be a good idea to institute a vaccine mandate. They didn't consult with us, uh, their content providers, or anything like that. They just did it. People were subsequently let go. I strongly object in the strongest possible terms to this vaccine mandate. The fight with them, candidly, folks, is having a real effect. You know, I'm, I'm very open with you here. I always, I always will be. You've been a great audience to me for a long time. But behind the scenes, the, it's getting a little ugly here. I wasn't on the radio today or yesterday. I won't be on the radio today. I don't know what they did, play the best of or whatever. But you don't treat people this way. You don't treat people the way they treated the people that were let go from cumulus because of their insistence that their body is theirs. I got an email, not going to say from who, but it was from a former employee of cumulus sitting right here on my, my phone. Want to thank me for my stance against the vaccine mandates. You don't have to thank me, really. I, I appreciate the sentiment, but it's not necessary. And said he was let go on Cumulus by Cumulus for not meeting their vaccine requirements. He says, even more hurtful, I was flat out denied my religious exemption within a day. He said they sent an email, which, which he confirmed was also sent word for word to other employees with similar requests. Now, let me just break in here. This reminds me of the email they sent me, Cumulus sent me, when they rejected my religious exemption. One of the things they said was I would be endangering my co-host. Well, I've never had a co-host. So they don't care. They don't care. They, it was just boilerplate. They just copied and pasted and sent the same response to everybody. After, after they had asked a whole lot of questions about my religious beliefs and how my religious beliefs affect how I live my life and how I look at different things, which I'm pretty sure legally they had no right to do. But we'll see. We'll see. Here's more from Brother, Brother Bongino. He says it was a slap in the face to not even be legitimately considered. And he goes on to explain how, I'm not going to say too much, I don't want to give away who it is. But he goes on to explain how when Cumulus needed his help during the worst parts of the pandemic, he was there for them and all the things he did. And he was casually just let go. Folks, you don't treat people that way. I'm not going to let it happen. This fight's been wearing me down, but it's not, it's not wearing me out. But I, I do need your help. You know, there are other people out there that work with Cumulus and elsewhere. I need your help. I can't do this alone. You know, I, le I learned a valuable lesson and some, some of the business ventures I've engaged in haven't worked out very well, but many of them have. Um, thankfully, we'll be announcing again a partnership and a, I'll announce it next. Uh, some business ventures I have worked out amazing. Some haven't, but I learned valuable lessons along the way. And one of them is your partners are everything. 
You can't make up for partners that treat people poorly and just have poor character. You can't. You can't do it. I don't care what kind of business strategy they have. They will screw you in the end. I'm hoping that's not the case here. We could have done some really special things together, especially with that radio show. But I'm not giving up this fight and I'm working on possible avenues now. It's not easy. They're not making it. uh, They're making it very difficult for a lot of us. But I promise you, it's again, it's wearing me down. I lost a lot of sleep over this, but it's not wearing me out. I'm not giving up this fight at all. And I learned another valuable lesson too. If you trust your content, don't ever sign long-term deals with anyone because they may have a victory over you, what they perceive to be a victory, but I promise you it's Pyrrhic. Some people need to find that out the hard way. You just heard the Dan Bongino show. All right. So there he is. There he is. Y'all pray for brother Dan Bongino. And I do not use the word brother lightly. Uh, brother Dan Bongino is a professing Christian and he is in our corner and we need to support him and pray for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Now, let me get into the show here, and, and I want to send a big shout-out, a big thank you to the great Jordan Davidson over thefederalist.com. Um, yesterday, Attorney General Merrick Garland was before the Senate Judiciary Committee for four and a half hours. And there's no way in the world I could have slogged through everything to get you exactly the best stuff. And God bless her, Jordan Davidson took the time, sat down and watched the whole thing, came out with an article I'll put on my Facebook page in a little bit. Top four must-see moments from the Senate Judiciary's questioning of A.G. Merrick Garland and includes some embedded videos. And we're going to play them for you before we get to everything else today. She said, Republican senators grilled Attorney General Merrick Garland in a Senate Judiciary Committee oversight hearing on Wednesday for authorizing the Department of Justice to target parents even after the National School Boards Association walked back the inflammatory language contained in its letter demanding that the Biden administration and federal law enforcement intervene against parents concerned about their children's education. In a House Judiciary hearing last week, Merrick Garland, Attorney General of the United States, admitted that the basis for targeting and potentially charging parents concerned about what their children are learning in schools with domestic terrorism was the official letter from the National School Boards Association as opposed to real evidence. So here are the top four moments from Wednesday's hearing that make Garland's role in authorizing the DOJ to investigate parents for alleged violence and terrorism even clearer. Number one, Garland says he will keep targeting parents even after the school board group apologized for its bogus domestic terrorism claims. Oh, yes. Never forget what I've told you. People who get nominated and approved to serve in the Biden administration It's understood they will lie through their teeth. These people are all con artists, and the number one rule of a con artist is never give 
up the con. Don't ever forget that. All right, back to Jordan Davison at the Federals here. She says, at the beginning of the hearing, Senator Chuck Grassley, Iowa, pressed Attorney General Merrick Garland to answer whether he would rescind his memorandum directing the FBI and state attorneys to address, quote, a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools, unquote, following a letter from the National School Board Association. That same association released a letter last week expressing regret for sending the letter and even admitted that there was no justification for some of the language included in the letter, but Merrick Garland did not budge. Senator Grassley asked, your memo mentions that the National Security Division will get involved in school board investigations. Is the Justice Department National Security Division really necessary for keeping local school boards safe if parents are not domestic terrorists? Why is the National Security Division of DOJ involved at all? This kind of looks like something that would come out of some communist country. Merrick Garland claimed the memo he publicized is focused on violence and threats of violence, but did not commit to rescinding the memo nor disavowing the involvement of federal law enforcement in local issues. Earlier in the hearing, Senator Grassley accused Garland of moving the DOJ as far left as it can go and targeting parents who are trying to protect their children. The Republican senator also criticized the DOJ for refusing to answer Republican members' letters, questions, and demands, even though Attorney General Garland previously promised to be transparent in his confirmation hearing. All right, number two of the top four must-see moments from the Senate Judiciary's questioning of A.G. Merrick Garland yesterday, Senator Tom Cotton calling for Garland to resign. During his allotted time, Senator Cotton of Arkansas told Merrick Garland he should resign in disgrace after using the National School Board Association letter to justify authorizing the Department of Justice to take action against frustrated parents. So I've got that for you. I think you need to hear Tom Cotton excoriating Merrick Garland yesterday. And I'll jump in every once in a while with my comments. But... uh, Tom Cotton was in rare form yesterday. Judge Garland, on May 11th, Tony Fauci testified that his agency, quote, has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Last week, his agency admitted that they had, in fact, funded gain-of-research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Are you investigating Tony Fauci for lying to Congress? So the long-time rule in the Justice Department not to discuss pending investigations, potential investigations. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, yeah, but you're investigating uh, parents who show up at school boards. You've, you said you're doing that. Anyway. Um, do you believe Tony Fauci was truthful when he said his agency had never funded gain-of-function research? 
this is outside of my scope of okay. knowledge. Let, let's turn to your outrageous directive sicking the feds on parents at school boards across America. When you crafted that October 4th memo, did you consult with senior leadership at the FBI? My understanding was that the memo um, or the idea of the memo had been discussed with the FBI before. Did anyone at the FBI express any doubt or disagreement or hesitation with your decision to issue that memo? No one expressed that to me. No one? To me. No one expressed that to me, no. Because a lot of them have contacted us and they said they did, Judge. I'm sorry? A lot of FBI officials have contacted my office and said... That they opposed this decision. Well, I doubt any of them spoke to me about it because I didn't speak to, to uh, and no one. All right. Made that All right. To me. Uh, Judge, you've repeatedly, you've repeatedly dissembled this morning about that directive. For instance, about the National Security Division. Chuck Grassley asked you a very simple question. Why you would sick the National Security Division of the Department of Justice on parents. John Cornyn asked you the same thing. You said it wasn't in your October 4th memorandum. It was in another office's memorandum. It wasn't another office's memorandum, Judge. It was in a press release from your office right here in front of me, October 4th, 2021, for immediate release. You're going to create a task force that includes the National Security Division. What on earth does the National Security Division have to do with parents who are expressing disagreements at school boards? That's a good question. Good luck, Merrick Garland, answering it. Nothing in this memorandum or any memorandum is about parents expressing disagreements with their school boards. The memorandum makes clear that uh, parents are entitled and protected by the First Amendment to have vigorous debates. We don't, uh, uh, the Justice Department is not interested in that question at all. Okay, so even in that case, what what is the National Security Division, Judge? These are the people that are supposed to be chasing jihadists and Chinese spies. What does the National Security Division have to do with parents at school boards? This is not, again, about parents at school boards. This is about threats of violence. Okay, let me, let me turn to that because you've said that phrase repeatedly throughout the morning. Threats or violence and threats of violence. Violence and threats of violence. Yeah. We've heard it a dozen times this morning. As Senator Lee pointed out, the very first line in your October 4th memorandum refers to harassment and intimidation. Why do you continue to dissemble in front of this committee that you are only talking about violence and threats of violence when your memo says harassment and intimidation? Senator, I said in, it, uh, in my testimony that it involved other kinds of criminal conduct, and, the, and I explained to Senator Lee that the uh, statutory definitions of those terms and the constitutional definitions of those terms involve threats of violence. Okay, let's look at one of those statutes you cited, yeah. Section t- 223. That statute covers the use of not just telephones, but telecommunications devices to annoy, to annoy someone. So are you going to sick your U.S. attorneys and the FBI on a parents group if they post on Facebook something that annoys a school board member, Judge? The answer to that is no. And the the provision that I was particularly uh, drawing to his attention was 2261A. Which was to engage. In- I wasn't talking about 2261. I know you mentioned that. You also mentioned 223. That's what I mentioned. Yeah, but the only okay, you, kind of- judge you also told you also told Senator Klobuchar that this memorandum was about meetings and coordination. Yeah, meetings and coordination. Yeah. Well, I have in my hand right here that I'll submit to the record a letter from one of your U.S. attorneys to all of the county attorneys, to the attorney general, to all sheriffs, to the school board association of his state, in which he talks about federal investigation and prosecution. It's not about meetings. 
thought about coordination is about federal investigation and prosecution. I did, you, did you direct your U.S. attorneys to issue such a letter? I did not. I have not seen that letter. My it's got three pages. It's got three pages well, my of spreadsheet my about all the federal crimes that a, that a parent could be charged with, to include the ones you cited. Did, did, my, my did Maine Justice make this spreadsheet, Judge? I don't have any idea. Uh, my did memorandum it? speaks specifically about setting up meetings, and I'll just read it again. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's got no idea if Maine Justice came out with this memo? Look, smarter people than I have been saying that Merrick Garland is a mere figurehead, and he really doesn't know what's going on at DOJ. He's just a figurehead, just like Joe Biden's a figurehead, right? Smarter people than I have said it's the assistant attorney general, Lisa Monaco, who's actually running the shop, right? Lisa Monaco, who was a Russian collusion truther, uh, a big force in the Obama administration, and who, when she was up for confirmation, was confirmed 98 to 2 out of the U.S. Senate, including by people like Tom Cotton. The only two people that voted against Lisa Monaco were Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. That's it, 98 to 2. Tom Cotton just asking Merrick Garland, did this memo come out of Maine Justice? He's like, I don't have any idea. Well, now, wait a minute. Who's in charge of Maine Justice? The Attorney General. Merrick Garland. He's a figurehead. He's not in charge. He doesn't know. But Lisa Monaco, who Tom Cotton and everybody else in the Senate, except for Cruz and Rand Paul, voted for, she knows. Convene meetings. Judge, we, we've all read your memorandum. Okay. We've also you heard you dissemble about your memorandum. I have, I have, and the record now shows, one of your U.S. attorneys sending out a letter about federal prosecution investigation and list in detail the federal statutes for which you could be prosecuted. Judge, you've talked a lot about intimidation and harassment. Have you issued a memorandum like your October 4th memorandum about the Black Lives Matter rights from last summer? Oh, oh. You're talking about the, the summer of 2020? In the summer of 2020, there were a lot of crimes committed. People haven't and been there were a lot of prosecutions, yet. and they were under the previous administration. Okay, Judge, what about a lot this? Of prosecutions. It is no doubt, you're, 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 even though parents at school boards aren't within federal jurisdiction, there's no doubt that federal officials are. You keep saying senators. Have you started an investigation into the harassment of Senator Kirsten Sinema in a bathroom? In a bathroom? Because she won't go along with the Democratic Party's big tax and spend agenda? That is a sitting United States senator being harassed in a bathroom. I don't know whether the senator has referred the matter to the Justice Department or not. Whoa, wait. She'd have to refer the matter to DOJ? Come on, man. If I may quote to Dementia Joe, come on, man. If I may quote Communist Chinese Joe, come on, man. If I may quote the illegitimate Occupant of the Oval Office. It's all over the news, man. Come on, man. Come on. You've cited as the basis for that directive 
the National School Board Association's letter of September 29th. Was that directive being prepared before September 29th, before the School Board Association letter was issued? I don't believe so. Certainly, I didn't have any idea. So it was only prepared at, okay, I think that answers the question. I already answered that so, question So you, you keep citing the school board letter and news reports. That's news right. Re- one of the news reports cited in that letter, which you presumably mean, is from Loudoun County, Virginia. No, that's Scott, not, that is not um, uh, what I was talking about. Well, it, about, you keep citing news reports, and not, that's the most prominent news report that anyone in America has seen. That refers to Scott Smith, whose 15-year-old daughter was raped She was raped in a bathroom by a boy wearing girls' clothes, and the Loudoun County School Board covered it up because it would have interfered with their transgendered policy during Pride Month. And that man, Scott Smith, because he went to a school board and tried to defend his daughter's rights, was condemned internationally. Do you apologize to Scott Smith and his 15-year-old daughter, Judge? That's a good question. Senator, anyone who's... A uh, child was raped as uh, is a, the most horrific crime I can imagine, and is certainly entitled and protected by the First Amendment to c- protest to their school board about that. But he was cited that's, by the school board association that's fine, as a domestic that's not, terrorist, which we now know that letter and those reports were the basis for your. No, th- this no, is Senator, this is wrong. shameful. Judge, that's, this is shameful. This, here, this testimony, your directive, your performance is shameful. Okay, that's not. Th- thank God you are not on the Supreme Court. You should resign in disgrace, Judge. Pretty strong. Thank God you're not on the Supreme Court. This is shameful. You should resign in disgrace. That's pretty strong. Uh, I don't know if you're a, a history buff, but um, when Justice Scalia passed away, uh, less than a year before the end of Obama's second term, Obama tried to nominate Merrick Garland to take his place on the Supreme Court. So anyone in his right mind would agree with Tom Cotton, thank God you're not on the Supreme Court. So that was a that was a great performance by Tom Cotton yesterday. We appreciate that. Well one of now one of my followers, I th- I think it was on Facebook said if only Tom Cotton had had the same vigor, the same gusto in trying to keep the election from being stolen late last year, then, you know, maybe he wouldn't have had to have put on that performance yesterday. But uh, that was the last thing in the world Tom Cotton wanted to do. Just so you know, look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Two-thirds of the people who download the Doc Washburn Show podcast are outside the state of Arkansas, and that's fantastic. We have downloads from 48 states from 23 other countries, and folks outside Arkansas look at Tom Cotton and they say he's a war hero, which he is. Risked his life for our country in Iraq and Afghanistan. No question about it. But they also say, Hey, you know, maybe he's going to run for president someday, which of course he is. And he's a strong stalwart conservative. But a lot of people inside Arkansas are furious with him for not standing up for election integrity in November, December, and January 
for allegedly working behind the scenes to try to make sure that as few Republican members of Congress as possible would challenge any of the electors in the states that the Democrats stole. Just just so the people in the other 49 will know how a lot of people in Arkansas are looking at their junior U.S. senator. Just so you know. No, no. Again, wonderful performance yesterday. Said the right things to A.G. Garland. Can't take that away. But the response I'm getting from people in Arkansas were like, yeah, where was he in November, December, and January? Now, uh, before I get to the next two must-see moments from yesterday's judiciary hearing, um, you know, Garland's like, hey, this is not about uh, parents of school boards. Really? 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 UK Daily Mail. Garland's feds go after parents. Mother protesting porn on curriculum shares photo of federal law enforcement cars outside school board meeting after AG told FBI to crack down on parents. Fairfax County, Virginia, mother of six accused feds of intimidating parents. Stacey Langston claims feds sent law enforcement agents to school board meeting. She posted a photo on Twitter last week showing a Homeland Security marked car. Langston also claimed helicopter flew above and shined light on moms and dads. Comments were made as A.G. Merrick Garland testified in Senate on Wednesday. Garland grilled over a memo about beefing up security at school board meetings. Republicans accused Garland's DOJ of treating parents as domestic terrorists. Wow. Again. Lying through his teeth. I mean, she's got the photos here. She brings the receipts. This is Stacy Langston. Mom whose kids are in school in Fairfax County, Virginia. She shows the pictures of the federal law enforcement vehicles outside the school board meeting. It's uh, it's outrageous. These people, these people, I believe, would rather climb a tree and tell a lie than stand on the ground and tell the truth. People like Merrick Garland. They uh, they learned well from uh, Joe Biden, from Barack Obama, from Bill Clinton. They learned well from Hillary. All right. Back to Jordan Davidson of thefederalist.com. Top four must-see moments from the Senate Judiciary questioning of Attorney General Merrick Garland yesterday. Number three, Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley, grills Garland before calling for his resignation. Senator Hawley also called on Garland to resign, but not before grilling him on the various actions state attorneys have taken to target parents following the Attorney General's memo legitimizing the National School Board Association's concerns, even though most of the examples listed did not escalate, did not escalate to even yielding arrests or charges at the local level. So let me play you that. Because Josh Hawley 
tore him up. Josh Hawley tore up Merrick Garland yesterday, and it was not pretty. Did you know that during World War II, the Brits were... Wait, 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 wait. I apologize. I apologize. We got a little commercial there at the start. I apologize. Let me let me get rid of that. And isn't live radio wonderful? Okay. I think... Uh, I think this this ought to fix it. Senator Hawley. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Attorney General Garland, on October 4th, you issued an unprecedented memo that involves the Department of Justice and the FBI and local school districts, local school boards, nothing like it in our country's history. It was based, you've testified, on this letter from the National School Board Association that we now know the White House was involved in writing. They've retracted the letter. They've apologized for the letter. They say they regret the letter, but you won't retract the memo and said earlier that you have no regrets. And you've defended yourself repeatedly today before this committee by saying, well, you're focused on violence. But now, of course, we've seen the memo from your own Justice Department advising state and local and other prosecutors about all of the different federal causes of action that they can bring against parents that are not about violence. They're about harassment and intimidation. I'm looking here at this memo. It identifies no fewer than 13 possible federal crimes involving harassment and intimidation, including making annoying phone calls. Do you think a parent who makes a phone call to a school board member that she has elected that that school board member deems annoying should be prosecuted, General Garland? No, I don't. And the Supreme Court has made quite clear that the word intimidation with respect to the constitutional protection is one that directs a threat to a person with the intent of placing the victim in fear of bodily harm or death. Prosecutors who investigate these cases know the Supreme Court's. This is a, a, a very famous uh, leading case. Pro- prosecutors do, but, but parents don't, General Garland. Do you, do you think that a parent who looks at the 13 different federal crimes that your Justice Department has identified, they might be subject to and prosecuted for, like making annoying phone calls, do you think that they're going to feel that they're welcome to speak up at a school board meeting? How about this one? They could be prosecuted for using the Internet. I guess that would be Facebook in a way that might cause emotional distress to a victim. Is that a, is that a crime of violence? Senator, I haven't seen the memo that you're well, talking about. Why haven't you? And I don't, I, and I, I, even from the description, it doesn't sound like it was addressed to parents. But if you No, it, was, it wasn't addressed to parents. It was addressed to prosecutors. That's the problem. Why haven't you seen the memo? I, uh, I I don't know why I haven't. I don't look at every. I have. I do not get every memo that every U.S. attorney uh, sends out. But uh, if you're wait 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 a minute. Don't, don't, I, I just want to be sure I understand this. This this is a memorandum that collects 13 different federal crimes parents could be charged with. It has United States Department of Justice on the top of it. And you're telling me you haven't seen it? Who's the memo from, Senator? The United States Department of Justice, United States Attorney for the District of Montana. I have not seen a memo from the District of Montana. Not I, high enough priority for you? It's not, that's not the question. I don't. It is the question. Answer my question. Is it not a high enough priority for you when you're threatening parents with 13 different federal crimes? I, These aren't crimes of violence. You've testified today. You're focused on violence. That's not what your U.S. attorneys, they work for you. That's not what they're saying. You haven't seen it because it's not a high enough priority or what? Question of priority. No one has sent me that memo, so I haven't seen it. What do you mean no one has sent you the memo? You run the United States Department of Justice, do you not? 
There are 115,000 employees of the Department of Justice. Indeed, and you are in charge of every one of them. And And this was a sufficiently important case that you issued a memo. You, over your signature, issued a memo involving the FBI and the Department of Justice in local school boards, local school districts. Your U.S. attorneys are now threatening prosecution with 13 different crimes, but it's not a high enough priority for you. It got lost in the mix. You know, I like this guy. It's Josh Hawley, U.S. Senator in Missouri. See, he's a lawyer, too. And he's not going to let Merrick Garland the hapless Merrick Garland, the execrable Merrick Garland. He's not going to let him off the hook. Josh Hawley was an attorney general for the state of Missouri. It's a pretty decent-sized state there. And I don't know if Merrick Garland realizes this because, you know, he's an older guy. He doesn't have the, the level of diminished capacity that clearly Dementia Joe has. So I don't know if he realizes it, but Josh Hawley, along with uh, Ted Cruz and Tom Cotton, are collectively handing his gluteus maximus to him, if I may use that term in present company. Ascent again. I've never seen that memo. It was- That's what concerns me, General Garland. Well, it wasn't sent to me. I hope you will assure your constituents that what we are concerned about here is violence and threats of violence. That only leads me to conclude, General Garland, all I can conclude from this is either that you're not in control of your own department or that more likely what I think to be the case is that you knew full well that this is exactly the kind of thing that would happen when you issued your memo, when you involved the Department of Justice and all of its resources and the FBI and all of its resources and local school boards and local school districts, you knew that federal prosecutors would start collecting crimes that they could use against parents. You knew they would advise state and local officials that these are all of the ways parents might be prosecuted. You knew that that was the likely outcome. And that's exactly what's happened. And we're talking about parents like Scott Smith, who's behind me over my shoulder. This is a father from Loudoun County, Virginia. Here he is at a school board meeting. He was forcibly restrained. He was assaulted. He was arrested. Why? Because he went to an elected school board meeting. He's a voter, by the way. He went to an elected school board meeting to raise the fact that his daughter was assaulted, sexually assaulted, in a girl's restroom by a boy. This is what happened to him. Now, you testify. Um, what happened to him was they were trying to arrest him, and they had him on the floor with his pants coming off. That was the picture behind Josh Hawley as he was speaking to Mary Garland. I last week before the House that you didn't know anything about this case. I find that extraordinary because the letter that you put so much weight on, the letter that's now been retracted, it cites this case. It cites Mr. Scott's case directly. There's a news article cited in the letter. It's discussed in the letter, but you testified you just couldn't remember it. Maybe this will refresh your memory. Do you think people like Scott Smith, do you think parents who show up to complain about their children being assaulted ought to be treated like this man right here? Parents who show up to complain about school boards are protected by the First Amendment. Do you think that they ought to be prosecuted in the different ways that your U.S. attorneys are identifying? 
If what they're doing is complaining about what the school board is doing, policies, curriculum, anything else that they want to, as long as they're not committing threats of violence, then they should not be prosecuted, and they can't be. Let me ask you about this. Several of my Democrat colleagues have today, just today in this hearing, multiple times have compared parents who show up at school board meetings, like Mr. Smith here, have compared them to criminal rioters. You think that's right? You think that a parent who shows up at a school board meeting who has a complaint, who wants to voice that complaint, and maybe she doesn't use exactly the right grammar, you think they're akin to criminal rioters? Do you agree with that? I do not, and I do not remember any senator here making that comparison. Oh, really? These people are just like the folks who came here on January 6th and and, and the riot at the Capitol? I don't think they were referring to the picture that you're showing there. Well, I certainly would hope not, but they were referring to parents who go to school board meetings. Mr. Smith is a parent who went to a school board meeting. I'll leave it at this, General Garland. You have weaponized the FBI and the Department of Justice. Your U.S. attorneys are now collecting and cataloging all the ways that they might prosecute parents like Mr. Smith because they want to be involved in their children's education, and they want to have a say in their elected officials. It's wrong. It is unprecedented, to my knowledge, in the history of this country. And I call on you to resign. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. That's Josh Hawley, Mayor Garland. All right. The great Jordan Davidson over the Federalist.com. Top four must-see moments from the Senate Judiciary's questioning of Attorney General Merrick Garland yesterday, number four, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas pressures Garland to answer for ties to critical race theory obsessed education firm. Senator Cruz pressured Garland to answer questions about his son-in-law, Zan Turner, who founded Panorama Education, a firm that markets teaching materials focused on systemic racism, oppression, white supremacy, and intersectionality, all under the rubric of social-emotional learning to educators funded by the government. So, let's see how that went. Again, Ted Cruz Another senator who refuses to let Merrick Garland off the hook. Would that there were more like him. Here we go. Your son-in-law makes a very substantial sum of money from a company involved in the teaching of critical race theory. Did you seek and receive a decision from an ethics advisor at the Department of Justice before you carried out an action that would have a predictable financial benefit to your son-in-law. This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats. I just violence. asked a question. Did you it seek has an ethics? No predictable. Did you seek an ethics opinion? It has no. Predict- Did you seek an ethics opinion, Judge? You know how to ask questions and answer them. Did you seek an ethics opinion? You asked me whether I sought an ethics opinion about something that would have a predictable effect on something. This has no predictable effect in the way that you're talking about. So, if critical race theory is taught in more schools, does your son-in-law make more this money? Memo has nothing. If critical race theory is taught in more schools, does your son-in-law make more money? Yes or no. This 
this memorandum has nothing to do with critical race theory will you answer or if you saw it ethics kind of curriculum will you that, answer if you saw it an ethics I am answering the best I can yes or no did you seek an ethics opinion this memorandum has did nothing did you seek an ethics opinion this memorandum has nothing to do with general are you refusing to answer if you sought an ethics opinion I'm telling you that there's no possible con- so you're saying no just answer it directly you know how to answer a question directly I'm did you seek an ethics opinion. I'm telling you that if I thought there was any reason to believe there was a conflict of interest, I would do that. But I cannot. Why do you refuse to answer the question? Why won't you just say no? I'm sorry. You're not going to answer the question? I'm sorry. Say, ask the question again. Did you seek an ethics opinion? I'm saying again, I would seek an ethics opinion. In so no is the answer, correct? There was a Senator, your time is up. That the record reflect the attorney general refuses to answer whether he thought, sought an ethics opinion, and apparently ethics are not a terribly high priority in the Biden Justice Department. I don't think that's a fair reflection of what I said. Then answer the question. Senator, you've gone way beyond any other senator's time. I think you ought to be at least respectful of other senators at this point. Mr. Chairman, do you know the answer, whether he sought an ethics opinion? I think you have exchanged that so many times, we know where we stand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it's kind of like I, I want to nominate Ted Cruz for a Nobel Prize for an understatement when he says that um, ethics are not a big concern in the uh, Biden Justice Department. Yeah, Ted, I, I think you might have something there. And uh, I, I admire your restraint. Good grief. But again, clearly, clearly, you got a guy, Attorney General Merrick Garland, and, and I believe Julie Kelly over at American Greatness is right. He's a, he's a figurehead. Lisa Monaco is running the joint. The one who all United States senators voted to confirm, except for Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. So, you know, he wants to go after parents who were complaining about the teaching of critical race theory, right? And his son-in-law makes a lot of money off the teaching of critical race theory. And so clearly there should have been some sort of ethics deal there. And clearly he refuses to answer Cruz's question for obvious reasons. I mean, there's no, no getting around that. All right. Um, <clears throat> so much more to get to. I promised you we've got to get to the 20 Republican congressmen who have proposed a transgender rights bill. Every one of them should be primaried, and I'll tell you who they are. We're going to get to the mom suing the school in Louisiana for vaccinating her child without her consent. The heartbreaking letter from one of the January 6th political prisoners and the unearthed documents from the Wuhan lab showing the bat lady celebrating her ability to isolate coronavirus strains for direct human infection. We got all of those. But one of the things I got to share with you, um, I, I guess 
this this podcast slash live stream that we do has really taken off in uh, a massive way that we didn't even expect. I got other other podcasts uh, in, interviewing me already. One of them is a gentleman named Chris O'Brien. Uh, he interviewed me the other day, and that's going to drop Friday, and he sent me a, a promo, and I'll uh, share that with you before we get to everything else I just talked about. So I can take a drink of water. It's Chris, host of the Ozone Daily Download with Chris O'Brien. I like fighters, and I hate vaccines. So when I find out that Doc Washburn stood by his principles and told his employer, Cumulus, that no, I'm not taking an experimental jab that's only in emergency use, and he lost his job for his principles. Then he goes and starts this podcast you're listening to right now, and he is finally able to talk about what he wants to talk about and that's the kind of guy i want to interview so we did and just in time for most people's commute this friday our OVU drops at 4 p.m eastern it's doc washburn like you've never heard him before to listen just go to spotify or the iheart app and just type in the ozone daily download with chris o'brien you don't want to miss this Hey, uh, you don't. You really don't. So, so what is the deal with the bat lady? Have you heard about this? It's, it's, it's over at uh, National File. Nationalfile.com, the, the, the bat lady. Wuhan bragging about bragging about making this whole thing work the coronavirus making it more deadly to get into humans sorry i thought i had the uh, the tab open i'll find it real quick Oh, I'm sorry. I said national file. It's the nationalpulse.com. Hard to keep track. Hard to keep track. All right, here we go. Exclusive unearthed Wuhan lab documents show bat lady Xi Zhengli isolating coronavirus strains for direct human infection. The great Natalie Winters over the nationalpulse.com. Xi Zhengli... The Wuhan Institute of Virology's premier bat coronavirus researcher celebrated her isolation of a coronavirus strain that could cause direct human infection in an annual lab report unearthed by the National Pulse. Now, these guys are doing real journalism. I say these guys, Natalie Winters, the National Pulse. The omission follows mounting evidence that COVID-19 traces its origins to the Wuhan-based lab and can be linked to risky gain-of-function research funded by Anthony Fauci, a longtime collaborator of several Fauci-funded researchers, Xi Jingli, also known as Bat Lady, has listed grants from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases director on her resume. And they got links. They had links to everything. 
Xing Li's biography and research accomplishments, accomplishments which appear in the lab's 2013 annual report exclusively unearthed by the National Pulse augment her ties to the scientific research carried out at the Wuhan Institute of Virology that likely led to COVID-19. The subheading, Research Interests, included in Xi Jinglei's profile, outlines the focus of her work and her capacity as the director of the Wuhan Lab's Center for Emerging Infectious Diseases. The synopsis begins before providing examples of her work on the interspecies infection mechanism of zoonotic viruses, such as SARS-like coronaviruses, by saying this group focuses on emerging viral pathogens and their infection mechanisms. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Fauci belongs in jail, y'all. I mean, that's my opinion. You're entitled to it. Focusing solely on her work accomplished in 2013, Xi Jinping Li boasts that, quote, we successfully isolated a bat SARS-like coronavirus before adding that the isolated strain could result in direct human infection. Now, why would that be the kind of thing to champion? Hey, y'all. We successfully isolated a bat, SARS-like coronavirus, and guess what? You're not going to believe this. Are you sitting down? This isolated strain could result in direct human infection. Doesn't that sound like fun? Wow. The summary also references how coronaviruses achieved cross-species infection by mutation of key sites of the spike protein, which is the mechanism that allows COVID-19 to enter human cells back in 2013. So Fauci, who lied under oath over and over and over and over and over again, no, 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 we never funded gain-of-function research. Not only funded it, but eight years ago, they were ready. Eight years ago, they were ready. I'll put it on my Facebook page. One of the things we try to do here is to share with you what's going on, and I, I just, I don't ever want to leave anything out and have you say, hey, Doc, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you warn us? We've got a, we got a letter from a January 6th political prisoner, gut-wrenching plea for help. Hat tip to Kara Castronuova over the gatewaypundit.com for bringing this to light. Got a guy named Nathaniel DeGrave, a nonviolent prisoner who walked into the open doors of the Capitol to document the event for a podcast. And he's been held in prison now, pretrial detention with no bail and no court trial date in sight been there for months. Again, I'll put this article on my Facebook page, and here is what, uh, and I'll probably get suspended by them again. Because, see, um, Zuckerberg's people want you to think that folks peacefully walking around in the Capitol are violent terrorists. 
That's why I got suspended a little while back for linking to Legal Defense Fund for, uh, what's the guy's name? Richard Barnett, Richard Big O Barnett, the, the guy from Arkansas who made the mistake of sauntering into Pelosi's office and putting his uh, feet on her desk and getting his snapshot taken. So he's up on all kinds of charges for that. And I posted a link to his uh, legal defense phone on Facebook. And months later, they said, oh, we're suspending you from doing Facebook Live and from advertising for a month because you did something supporting violence and or terrorism. You can challenge it if you want to. So I challenged it. And then they're like, oh, sorry, because COVID-19, we can't really look at challenges. So just have fun. Anyway, here is the letter from the young man, Nathaniel DeGrave, who is being held pretrial detention, no bail in sight, no court trial date in sight, nonviolent prisoner who just walked around the Capitol after the police opened the doors. Dear fellow Americans, I never thought I'd write a letter like this. We're living in very different times. This is my cry for help. My name is Nathan DeGrave. I'm sorry, I said Nathaniel. He says, my name is Nathan DeGrave, and as a nonviolent participant at the January 6th rally, I've spent the last nine months detained as a political prisoner in pod C2B at the D.C., DOC, otherwise known as DC's Gitmo. The conditions here for January 6ers have been inhumane. In fact, some inmates are even begging to be transferred to Guantanamo Bay, where even they have more acceptable standards. Class action lawsuits are being filed against this prison. And even the ACLU has gotten involved. Congressman Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene have since attempted to gain access to this facility and inspect the conditions of the jail only to be denied. The vile filth of what has become our daily life is being illegally hidden from the members of our own Congress. So let me tell you about what me and many of the other January Sixers have been experiencing in D.C.'s Gitmo. It is my hope that with media exposure and the awareness of the American public that something may be done, and this never happens to anyone ever again. Our conditions. For the first 120 days in D.C.'s Gitmo, January, January 6ers experienced daily lockdowns for 23 to 24 hours before being allowed to leave our small 120-square-foot cell. The physical and mental anguish that results from this kind of severe isolation has caused many people to go on a rapid mental decline. As a result, a large percentage of us are heavily medicated with anti-anxiety and antidepressant drugs, which helps to cope with the psychological and mental abuse we endure. Many times, <clears throat> pardon me, Many times, the little recreation we do receive is stripped away if our cell isn't up to the standards of the guard on duty. This changes from day to day. January Sixers have lost recreational time and out-of-cell activity any time 
news interviews about the jail are aired on TV. People speak up about our conditions or rallies are held in our name. We'll probably have a lockdown upon the publishing of this letter. So I've already warned those I know in advance. Masks are weaponized and used against us, even though we never leave the facility. Officers have walked in with the sole intention of needing to write 20 to 30 disciplinary reports against January 6ers, which adversely affects our chances of release and causes loss of privileges, phone time, and commissary. Masks need to be covering both the nose and mouth at all times, or we are threatened and locked down in our cells. January 6ers are always respectful to the employees around us, but corrections officers maintain the need to invent reasons for discipline. Privileged legal documents have been confiscated and gone missing from various cells, and highly sensitive discovery, video evidence under attorney-client privilege, is watched by employees during our legal calls. Jordan Mink, for example, had all discovery taken by ERT officers on August 23rd, despite the objection of his attorney, they handcuffed him, searched his room, and then proceeded to take all video evidence in his possession. Additionally, legal visits take two to three weeks or more to be scheduled, leaving little time to discuss our defense and prepare for trial. The extreme medical neglect in this facility has caused a variety of adverse illnesses and disease. Some show signs of scurvy, and some even have COVID-like symptoms, but medical personnel have refused to treat it. <clears throat> For example, Christopher Worrell is an inmate with cancer who also broke his hand in prison and requires surgery. Both have been completely ignored. Federal Judge Royce Lambert got to the point where on October 12th, he filed contempt of court charges against the warden of the D.C., DOC, claiming that Worrell's civil rights have been violated and demanding the U.S. Attorney General inquire further about his and other possible violations. You know, he did, he did, he did, he did. The judge did demand the Attorney General Merrick Garland inquire further about the violations against this man who has cancer and a broken hand, and they refused to do anything about it in that D.C. jail. And, you know, with, with all the grandstanding yesterday... Republican senators going after Merrick Garland, did one of them, did one of them bring up the status of the political prisoners who are being tormented and tortured in the D.C. jail? If anybody did, I missed it. Go back to the letter. Another inmate, Peter Steger, waited four months to receive his CPAP breathing machine and has needed an MRI since spring which has also been ignored by staff. The harsh, unlivable conditions of our unit has caused health hazards that defy Department of Health regulations. And on at least five occasions, raw sewage has overflowed our unit, causing human fecal matter to flood the floors and rooms. That's also in addition to the mold on cell walls, as well as the rusty pipes and dirty water that flows from these sinks. White rags turn brown when exposed to the water from our faucets. <clears throat> we are undergoing severe nutritional deficiencies and starvation. 
for breakfast this morning, I received a tray of flavorless paste, pardon me, flavorless paste, two slices of bread, and a slice of bologna. Lunches usually consist of rice and beans, but we'll get cold chicken or beef patties if we are lucky. For dinner, we're sometimes fed a diet of cheese sandwiches and bologna and cheese four to five times per week. Without commissary, people like myself are forced to starve. I suffer from headaches and nausea on an almost regular basis from the malnutrition and constant hunger I am subjected to. I've lost almost 15 pounds since I've been detained. Our rights to personal hygiene are also totally neglected. Razors are prohibited, and inmates are forced to either go unshaved and grow long beards or use a razor-free cream that burns and irritates the skin. But many other jails have allowed the use of razors without incident. Haircuts are also prohibited from unvaccinated inmates. For me, it's been almost nine months. I look virtually unrecognizable in the condition I'm in. I fear even my family would not recognize me. Contact with the outside world from legal visits to seeing loved ones is highly restricted. After in-person visits, legal or otherwise, we are forced to undergo humiliating strip searches. Despite all visitors being thoroughly checked for contraband. If it is a legal visit, we are placed in a 14-day quarantine with no out-of-cell time. Even if your attorney is vaccinated and tests negative for COVID. Visits with friends or family members for unvaccinated inmates are never allowed. As a result, many people have skipped critical meetings with their counsel and never get an opportunity to see friends or family. Video visitation, while available to the rest of the jail, is restricted in the January 6th pod. Mail is delayed for months and phone calls are limited to a maximum of pre-approved 12 numbers. If there's anyone else in our extended family or otherwise we'd like to call, we're pretty much out of luck. Religious services protected by the First Amendment are not provided to January 6ers. Neither are in-person classes or other activities available to the rest of the jail. An inmate named Ryan Samsel instead attempted to organize his own Bible study inside the pod until he was viciously beaten and left for dead by correctional officers. He suffered a broken eye socket and brain damage as a result of the vicious attack. He's now permanently blind in one eye. On another occasion, Scott Fairlam was confronted by an officer in the middle of the night and his life was threatened once the officer's body cam was disabled. Many, like myself, were afraid they could be the next victim. And last but not least... We experience racism for many guards on a daily basis, being the only white Republicans in the entire jail. The false narrative has been passed around the jail and to corrections officers that we are white supremacists, which we are not. The inmate population is predominantly black, so we are at risk being here because of this false narrative. The guards are mostly liberal migrants from Africa who have been conditioned to hate us and hate America. January Sixers have been mocked, beaten, and ridiculed by guards for singing the national anthem. The corrections officers despise our politics and the love we have for this country. At one point, an officer even yelled, F America, and threatened to lock us down for a week if we attempted to sing the national anthem again. 
the truth about my story. Finally, I feel like I should touch briefly on the government and prosecutor's portrayal of who I am as a person. No, I am not a terrorist, extremist, or any of the other names I've been called by the government. More than anything, I'm a red-blooded patriot, and I love this country more than anything. I'm being unfairly prosecuted and definitely overcharged. He says, I never assaulted anyone, destroyed property, or stolen anything. I walked through wide open doors to enter the Capitol, along with my camera crew, hoping to get the rally on video. I was never even armed at any point inside the Capitol. He says, our goal was to make a documentary and get likes and shares on social media. Yes, I wore a costume that the prosecutor refers to as paramilitary gear and body armor, but it was for the movie and was nothing of the sort. And yet, nine months later, here I sit with 10 years' worth of charges and no hope for a future. The surveillance footage shows absolutely no signs of assault, and despite attempts by media companies to get it released to the public, the government has denied it. I think that's because they're fully aware that this footage is questionable at worst and exonerates me at best. Please don't be fooled by the media. I am a loving and peaceful person with no history of violence. This weaponized DOJ and their blatant resentment of my respect for President Donald Trump is putting me in a situation that makes me feel helpless in my current situation. How you can help. Despite me and other January Sixers experiencing these unthinkable conditions, all of us remain positive and hopeful that in the end, justice will prevail. We maintain a love for this country and the Constitution like no other. The only thing keeping us going is our undying patriotism, the camaraderie between one another, and our faith in God. Please share this letter with everyone you know, friends and family, senators, representatives, political organizers, civil rights groups, and media outlets. The truth has to get out, and the jail must pay for what they are doing to this country's citizens. He says, as a result of this unlawful detainment the last nine months, I've lost everything. The successful business I spent 13 years of my life working on, my apartment in Las Vegas, social media accounts with a lifetime of memories, you name it. The government has essentially canceled me. Not only that, but following the arrest, my best friend of 12 years robbed my apartment, stole my cat, and hacked my personal Instagram with over 100,000 followers. Since then, I often go between feelings of hopefulness and moments of depression. I wonder if I can ever recover from this, but I have to remind myself to never give up. There are major medical complications I now struggle with as a result of the jail's neglect of my health since being here. He says, if there is any way I hope to recover, my only hope are the ones who are reading this. I was on top of the world once upon a time, and that life seems now like only a distant memory. If there's anything you can do to help, I would appreciate anything at all. Inmates here are being extorted with lack of nutrition, forcing me to spend most of what's left on commissary, which I can no longer afford. He says, I need desperate help with my legal expenses and just help staying alive in here with commissary and all the expenses I still have on the outside as my livelihood and life has been stripped away from me. Thank you for any help you can afford, even if it is a few dollars, it goes a long way in here. Sincerely and with love, Nathaniel DeGrave. And it says, um, 
it says you can donate to help Nathaniel DeGrave here. Wow. I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page. They'll probably suspend me again. Thanks so much to uh, Kara Castronuova over at the uh, the Gateway Pundit for sharing this gut-wrenching plea for help. January 6 detainees tell all letter to the American public from D.C. Gitmo, please help this abused man. Wow. We Look, there before the grace of God go I. We got to speak up. We got to speak up for people they're doing this to, okay? So that's why I share that with you. All right. Um, Mom to sue school after son vaccinated without consent. And this is from uh, CBS affiliate WWL-TV in New Orleans. Kenner mom threatens lawsuit after teen son vaccinated school without permission. As outlined by the Louisiana Department of Health website, a parent's signature is required for anyone under 18 years old who wants the shot. There's a lawsuit brewing in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana, over a teenager who received the COVID-19 vaccine at school without his parents' consent. Jennifer Ravain of Kenner, Louisiana, says her 16-year-old son received the vaccine at East Jefferson High School Wednesday without her consent. And Oaksner Mobile Vaccination Clinic rolled in to vaccinate teenagers, but her son was able to sign the consent form himself, even though he is underage. As outlined by the Louisiana Department of Health website, a parent's signature is required for anyone under 18 years old who wants a shot. Attorney G. Shelley Maturin who represents Ms. Ravane, called the situation a nightmare and lawless behavior and says other underage students got the shot without consent as well. In a statement to Eyewitness News there for WWL-CBS in New Orleans, New Orleans, he said, the egregious and reckless actions of Oaksner and East Jefferson High School went well beyond any legal and moral bounds and at a minimum constitute a battery upon the minor child. Their actions should shock the conscience of all citizens of Louisiana. Matterin says he's exploring every avenue to hold Oaksner and the district accountable. Oaksner Health System apologized for the misstep at East Jefferson High School and says it's revising its school vaccination program. A spokesperson wrote in a statement to Eyewitness News, quoting now, While we firmly believe in vaccinating adolescents to keep them safe from COVID-19, this should be done only with parental consent. Our team has been notified that a student was vaccinated without proper parental consent at a school vaccination event on October 20th, 2021, we have procedures in place to ensure that all policies are followed. However, in this instance, this did not occur. We have taken immediate action to review our on-site vaccination policies and to ensure that these policies will be strictly enforced moving forward as a leading health care provider in this community. We value the trust that parents put in us to care for their children, and we're revising our school vaccination program to ensure that this does not happen again. I thought you had procedures in place to make sure it didn't happen already. But this mother is saying her son wasn't the only one. We're in communication with a parent who brought this to our attention. We offer our sincere regret and apology for any distress this has caused. And that ain't going to get it. 
Once you're vaxxed, you can't be unvaxxed. You knew. You don't have procedures in place to keep this from happening. You got procedures in place to make sure this happens. There's no excuse. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. You don't have procedures in place. You don't. Ridiculous. I'll put that on my Facebook page, too. Outrageous. What's the other thing I said I was going to get to? Oh, 20 Republican congressmen propose a transgender rights bill. Really? Really? Okay. They should all be primaried. Every last one of them should be primaried. I mean, there's, there's no excuse for this. None whatsoever. All right, where's that article? I had it open. <laughs> okay, this is confusing to me. This is confusing to me because, I don't know, we're going to have to figure something out. I, I, I would have, I would have two different tabs open from the, uh, from the same website. Right, and all of a sudden I go back, and and the two different tabs are the same, are the same article. All right, here it is. Here it is. Twenty-one House Republicans want to pass a transgender rights bill. The Fairness for All Act would be a disaster for women and especially young girls. And this dropped. Uh, Tuesday from John Schwepp over at Substack. It says it's been a rough year, a tough year for the radical LGBT movement. Eight going on nine states have passed laws to protect women's sports. Two states have passed laws protecting minors from experimental puberty blockers and cross-sex hormone treatments. Several more are expected to join next year. One of the states that passed it is Arkansas, the state where I used to do a local radio talk show. And unfortunately, the uh, the horrific governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, um, vetoed it. Vetoed it. He uh, He's a professing Christian, calls himself a conservative Republican, but he thinks that, you know, eight-year-old year old should be allowed to be sterilized. Anyway... <laughs> Tough year for the radical LGBT movement. Only three House Republicans voted for the Equality Act in 2021. Eight supported it back in 2019. 49 senators voted for language to protect women's sports in the American Rescue Plan, including Democrat Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. He says, while the language didn't become law, the vote was an important barometer check. The Equality Act would need 60 votes in the Senate to become law. For all intents and purposes, the so-called Equality Act is dead in this Congress. Republicans are set to take back the House and possibly the Senate in 2022. Joe Biden's approval numbers are tanking. Rep Republicans are taking on gender ideology like never before. Just look at what 
Glenn Youngkin is doing in Virginia, running for governor there. So things are looking up, right? There's simply no reason to give an inch on this issue, right? But some Republicans love to negotiate against themselves. These folks can always be counted on to hand Democrats a political victory where there was none to be had. Enter U.S. Representative Chris Stewart, Republican of Utah. He has introduced a bill along with 20 Republican co-sponsors that attempts to merge the principles behind the Equality Act, enshrining sexual orientation and so-called gender identity, into civil rights law, with a few exceptions for religious institutions. Here's why Representative Chris Stewart... Utah believes Republicans should snatch defeat from the jaws of victory by supporting the so-called Fairness for All Act. Quote, It is hard to really love our neighbors when we're fighting with them over whose rights are more important. This country can accommodate both civil liberties for LGBT individuals and religious freedom. We have wasted enough time, energy, and money fighting over who deserves which legal protections. It is time to define the federal protections for our LGBT and religious friends and neighbors, unquote. What a wimp. Now, John Schweppes continues, if this was just a repository bill for Republicans with ties to pro-gender ideology, religious sex, fine, whatever. But according to my sources, Chris Stewart isn't content with the status quo. He's actively courting a Republican to introduce companion legislation in the Senate. Earlier this month, we learned a 15-year-old girl in Loudoun County, Virginia, had been sexually assaulted in her high school bathroom by a boy wearing a skirt. Later, after the incident was covered up and the perpetrator was moved to a different high school, he proceeded to sexually assault another girl. These sexual assaults were a policy choice They were the direct result of a gender identity policy promoted and advanced by Democrats perfectly willing to sacrifice the bodies, minds, and souls of innocent children in order to advance their insane agenda. We blame the Democrats, and rightfully so, but don't let, pardon me, but don't let these 21 Republicans off the hook. The Fairness for All Act would take the same so-called gender identity policy that led to two sexual assaults and the cover-up of those assaults in Loudoun County, Virginia, and implement it nationwide. He says, in preparation for this piece, I contacted Ryan T. Anderson, president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Anderson explained to me, the Fairness for All Act is grievously unfair. Its protections for religious liberty are insufficient, and they come with a high price of legally enshrining a misguided sexual and gender ideology which would license officials to punish citizens who dissent from secular progressive orthodoxy. Indeed, while the Fairness for All Act's primary selling point to conservatives is the protection of religious liberty, it's hard to imagine that would satisfy conservative voters worried about gender ideology's impact on society at large. Anderson said religious liberty is an important human right, but we must also protect parental rights, women's privacy and safety, medical professionals' conscience rights, and the bodies and minds of children. We must refuse to impose a misguided gender ideology on the nation. Anderson 
and the Ethics and Public Policy Center are not alone in the opposition to the Fairness for All Act. A number of conservative groups have come out against it, including the Heritage Foundation, Alliance Defending Freedom, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, Family Research Council, Family Policy Alliance, Concerned Women for America, and American Principles Project. And thus far, Republican leadership in the House and Senate has wisely avoided promoting the legislation in any way. So, is there a substantive difference between the Fairness for All Act and the Equality Act? Not really. Like the Equality Act, Fairness for All imposes a radical gender ideology on society and fundamentally redefines American life. Unlike the Equality Act, the Fairness for All Act tries to carve out a few religious liberty exceptions for religious institutions. But it's hard to get excited about that when they've conceded everything else to the radical LGBT movement. The Family Research Council has a great comparison chart resource that he links to. So here's a far, far, far from exhaustive list of what the Fairness for All Act would do. Number one, it would enact a nationwide mandate that schools allow boys into girls' private spaces. Needless to say, this would codify what happened in Loudoun County, Virginia. Number two, it would destroy women's sports. Number three, it would promote chemical castration for gender-confused children. Number four, it would allow men in women's prisons. Well, it's already happened in California. Number five, it would allow men in battered women's shelters. Number six, it would incriminate free speech for teachers, doctors, and other professionals. And that last part, incriminating free speech for ordinary Americans, would essentially end America as we know it. Check out this excerpt from a letter the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops sent to Representative Stewart two years ago. Quoting now, The freedom of speech and belief for all Americans, whether in customer-facing services, schools, intimate spaces, or the workplace, could be put at risk by requiring them to publicly speak and act in accord with the so-called gender identity of another that they know to be untrue. Ultimately, this may even affect parents' rights with respect to their own children of state agencies and judges take the signal from the FFA's foster care provisions that it is best for a child to have a new gender identity affirmed immediately without question or exploration. Even if FFA were sufficient to avoid creating these and other challenges, the ends, securing the included religious freedom protections, do not justify the means establishing gender ideology as a basis for a national policy, further undermining the anthropological basis of the family. So, who supports fairness for all? Here are the 21 Republican co-sponsors for the Fairness for All Act. Representative Chris Stewart, Adam Kenzinger, Andrew Garbarino, Blake Moore, Brian Fitzpatrick, Burgess Burgess Owens, the guy in Utah, supposed to be this rock rib conservative, really? Carlos Jimenez, Chris Jacobs, Claudia Tenney, Elise Stefanik, ooh, Elise Stefanik, New York. That's the one Trump likes. Big rhino, but he thinks she's a conservative because she likes him. That's a shame. Uh, Fred Upton. Michigan, he was, a, he was a guy that John Boehner made sure he put, uh, you know, chairman of committees and stuff. Jeff Van Drew, New Jersey, the guy who used to be a Democrat, sounds like he still is. John Curtis, 
Maria Elvira Salazar, Mario Diaz-Balart, Mark Amodai, Michael Simpson, Nicole Maliatakis, Steve Stivers, Tom Reed, and Nancy Mace. Nancy, how can you be so liberal and be a U.S. representative for the Republican Party from South Carolina? Nancy Mace, you believe this? This is nuts, man. Coalition supporters include Republican megadonor and LGBT rights activist Paul Singer, the American Unity Fund, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay, the Mormon Church. The Mormon Church wants this bill to become law to let boys in the girls' bathrooms and locker rooms and stuff. Really? And the Seventh-day Adventist Church, what a shock. Paul Singer and his coalition want more Republicans to sign on to Fairness for All. They want Republican leadership to endorse it. They want the RNC to add it to the Republican platform, and they want a Republican senator to dive in and publicly support all of this. I better know who will. I bet you Mitt Romney will. Anyway, wrapping up, <clears throat> this is the typical Republican loserdom of old where our supposed defenders in Congress abandon the arena as soon as an opponent arrives. But support for fairness for all is more than an abandonment. It's a betrayal. These congressmen see the left rushing full speed to stab us in the front, and their ingenious defense is to preemptively stab us in the back. What better way to own the libs? Well, in addition to being morally wrong, it's politically idiotic. We're winning the fight. Opposition to the radical enforcement of the new gender ideology has been and remains a political winner. So why do this? What is it exactly that the supporters of this bill think they're achieving? A defense of religion? If that's their goal, this is certainly a funny way of going about it. Anyone who attempts to live out his or her religious conviction that marriage is between a man and a woman or that lying to a gender-confused child is both wrong and harmful will be considered an enemy of the state under this bill. There's no defense of religion to, to defend the preaching while you criminalize the practice. Hey, the congregation may be headed to the gulag, but at least the pastor won't be joining them. A church or religious order may be safe and some convoluted, compromised form, church-run camps, hospitals, charities, adoption agencies might be able to keep their doors open. But what are the Catholic spa owner, the Mormon psychiatrist, the Muslim baker? Must they be employed directly by an explicitly religious institution in order to live out their faiths? The so-called compromise also completely ignores the non-dogmatic grounds for opposing a radical gender ideology barely old enough to get a driver's license. It does not require the light of divine revelation to know that men and women exist, that one's sex is immutable, and that pretending to be who you are or pardon me, pretending to be who you are not does more harm to your identity than anything this bill purports to fix. But this bill would do nothing to protect those who object on the grounds of reality. They would be required by law to completely submit control over their bodies and minds to the new regime. The sponsors pretend to have worked out a lasting truce, but is there any reason to believe that the lines they've drawn will last? What assurance could anyone have? The fight over gay marriage was just about letting people live their lives, right? No, of course not. Grow up. 
This is a zero-sum game. The left and right are fighting over the same field. It's an unstable piece for the right to unilaterally surrender 90% of it and sit in hope that their enemies will be satisfied. A serious contender for the Democrat nomination last primary season already suggested attacking churches directly for refusing to toe the ideological line on SOGI and the near-unanimous opinion of the Democrat Party, including the current president, is that the religious protections, which do not appear in the Equality Act they support, are not necessary. The securities of this compromise exist only in the sponsor's imagination, and the cost of their compromise, so-called, is enormous. These Republican sponsors are willing to accept the most horrendous outcomes to avoid their own discomfort. The price of their surrender is the chemical castration of children, the criminalization of truth-telling, the ghettoization of religious practice to explicitly church-affiliated institutions, the destruction of women's sports, the required admission of men to battered women's shelters, and more. In return for this, they gain absolutely nothing. Meanwhile, they enforce policies nationwide that foreseeably result in rape, mutilation, and misery. Sorry, no deal. Republicans should stay away from this one. And for those that don't, expect political consequences. This isn't the grand old party anymore. Conservatives are done putting up with controlled opposition losers. And again, that is uh, the great John Schwepp over at Substack. 21 House Republicans want to pass a transgender rights bill. All right. um, This has been episode number 13 of the Doc Washburn Show on Thursday October 28th, 2021. We appreciate you so much. Uh, this has been our longest, and I appreciate uh, my, my staff here for putting up with me because everyone is ready to uh, go try out some of my, uh, my mother's um, special recipe, chicken vegetable soup, and we're going to do that momentarily. So um, thank you guys so much. Please spread the word. Uh, if, you, if you listen to this by going to docwashmanshow.com and clicking on listen, or if you download this from Spotify or Apple or wherever, or uh, for that matter, if you're one of the people who actually listens live to the live stream by uh, having downloaded the Podbean app on your phone, any way you listen to us, please spread the word. We're at over 21,000 downloads now after just the uh, the first 12 episodes, and uh, it's so exciting for us. 48 states, 23 other countries. Thank you guys so much. God bless you, and we'll see you again tomorrow, God willing.